Welcome to Hope. My name is Amanda Neppel, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here, as well as the women's ministry uh, pastor. And so I'm just so excited that you are here worshiping with us tonight. Uh, We've been praying for you, so we believe it's no accident that you're here with us this evening. We are on the fourth weekend of Lent, and so that means that three weeks from today, we will be celebrating that Jesus went to the cross and Jesus rose again. I don't know if you noticed, but... uh, Friendly Jesus took a little header during the music that was just a little bit too much for him, but he rises again. Amen. So we picked him back up and everything is good. So we're ready to go. Obviously, here where we are in the season of Lent, continuing our Jesus run, continuing our walk through the gospel of the book of Matthew. We're tracking with Jesus as he makes his way to the cross. And so it just clearly makes sense to borrow from the deeply theological movie, Lego Batman. Basically, I want to assure you that you have seen the best two minutes of the movie, so you're pretty much good. The opening is, is, is good, the rest of it, you know, whatever. But I thought it made sense to start with that tonight because when we look, we watch that movie, if you happen to have a 10-year-old boy in your home, I don't know, maybe you've watched that movie like I do, but um, it's so obvious what's going to happen, right? The pilot's not even upset because clearly Batman's going to swoop in and Batman's going to save the day. Whatever the Joker has up his sleeve is not going to work out because obviously Batman is going to stop him. And so just like that, when we take a look at the the events of Matthew 14, the feeding of the 5,000, if we are so blessed because we have the benefit to find all of these events wrapped up so nice and neat here for us in the Gospel of Matthew. And if you have been in church for a while, if you grew up in the church, as I know many of you did, but honestly, even if this is the first time you have set foot in a church and you don't even know how long— I'm willing to bet that you are at least a little bit familiar with the events of Matthew, of, of Matthew, of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Because whether you've grown up in church or not, that's just kind of part of our collective society. It's just kind of part of who, who we are. Pretty much everybody has heard one bit of that story or another. So we hear about these, these events and these miracles and all the things that Jesus has done, and they come one right after another. And it's so easy for us to think that, oh, well, of course, people showed up, Jesus healed them, people were hungry, Jesus fed them. Duh, that's what Jesus does. And when we do that, it makes sense, uh, but we kind of miss the bigger picture of what's actually going on. We just kind of skip over what's really happening, and we think, yep, obviously, Jesus healed the people. Obviously, Batman is going to stop the Joker, and obviously, we can trust in Batman, I mean, Jesus also. Amen. Sermon's over. No, not exactly. (laughs) Sorry. Buckle up. So there's a lot more going on here than just this idea of one right after another where Jesus heals and he does miracles and it just comes right at us. There's a lot more going on here because I think that whether you're familiar with this story or not, there is something in the events of Matthew 14 that we can all kind of take with us tonight. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app, go ahead and open it up. We're actually going to get started in Matthew 13. We're going to start a little bit earlier in Matthew 13 because in Matthew 13, Jesus is on a teaching streak. And he is talking about what the kingdom of heaven is like. Jesus does five different parables where he says that the kingdom of heaven is like, 
whatever. So he does this, like I said, five different times. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed. And this farmer planted good seed and his enemy came in during the night and planted weeds. And so the seeds and the weeds grew up together in the field and then they separated them out at the harvest. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. The mustard seed is the tiniest of seeds, but it grows into the biggest of garden plants. And then birds take shelter there in the mustard plant. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast that permeates the bread. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. And then the man sold everything that he had so that he could buy this field because this kingdom of heaven was such a treasure. He didn't want anything to prevent him from experiencing it, from having it. And so We've got Jesus teaching in these kind of terms about what the kingdom of heaven is like. We've got this really good head situation going on of what the kingdom of heaven is like. And then as we continue on through chapter 13, we get to the end of chapter 13, and then this thing happens where we really kind of experience a reminder of what earth is like contrasted with what the kingdom of heaven is like. So we learn that at the end of chapter 13, Jesus is, he's gone back to his hometown, he's gone back to Nazareth, and he is teaching the people, he's trying to teach the people, but these are his buddies. These are the people he's grown up with, these are the people who have known him his whole life, and instead of them being proud of this local boy who's done well, instead of being proud of him, they decide that obviously he's gotten too big for his britches and he's got to get out of town. So they basically run him out of town. And then after that, at the beginning of chapter 14, even worse is that Jesus' friend, his cousin, his partner in ministry, John the Baptist, has been murdered by Herod. And so we get this sense of these hypothetical head knowledge situations of what the kingdom of heaven is like, butted up against these real-life examples of what things can be like here on planet Earth. John the Baptist spoke the truth to power, and the powerful structures didn't care for that one bit. And if we're just going through the gospel of Mark or Matthew, and we're just reading and going and going and going, we can miss that we get that too, right? That we understand what those things are like. If you've ever tried to change the mind of someone that you've known your whole life, if you've ever tried to convince someone something about you and you were on the playground with them throwing rocks at one another, good luck. Good luck trying to get them to change their mind about you. The same way if you don't necessarily have to imagine what that was like for Jesus because we all know what that's like when in the situation of John the Baptist, when somebody who has power uses it, and then we have to deal with the consequences, right? When people in power take advantage of the people who are around them, we can really understand what that means, how that feels to feel powerless in that situation. So if we think about those things, we just want to kind of take a breath and realize that we can understand how Jesus is, what he's feeling, what he's thinking here right before we get to Matthew 14, verse 13. So up until this point, Jesus has been teaching, and then he finds out about John the Baptist. And then in Matthew chapter 14, verse 13, it says, As soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat in a remote area to be alone. 
<clears throat> Jesus has just heard the news about John the Baptist, and he's looking for a chance to get a little bit of a break, a little bit of a reprieve from everything that's gone on. And of course, we know the people find Jesus. They are coming from all over, and they realize they've got an opportunity uh, to get to Jesus, and so they swarm in, just coming in from all directions. And Matthew tells us, that when the people found Jesus, they brought their sick. They brought everybody who needed to be healed. And we read that Jesus saw them and had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. Matthew goes out of his way to say that he did this because he had compassion on them. And this is actually the second time just in Matthew's gospel where he said that Jesus healed them because he had compassion on them. Not because he didn't have anything else to do, not because it was Sunday, but because he had compassion on them. And at this point, because Jesus sees the people and he sees their hurts, and it's not like anyone has walked up to him and said, at least that we know of, you know, so Jesus, how are you doing, right? There wasn't any, any of that. Everyone brought their sick to him as we're known to do, to kind of be focused on ourselves. And Jesus had compassion and he healed them. And the thing is, this compassion that Jesus did that was hands-on with people, this is still the difference between Jesus and the disciples at this point. And oftentimes it's a difference between Jesus and us right? I was kind of reading about this and, and preparing for this message for this weekend. And honestly, if I'm, if I'm going to tell you the truth, as I think about this, this event, the feeding of the 5,000, I've got some questions about it. I'm just going to be honest. Literally, where did all these people come from and how did they not bring snacks? I don't, I don't understand that because I'm a mom and my kids are a little bit older now, but there was a period of time where there was nothing in my purse, uh, but maybe one credit card and then nothing but snacks or snack crumbs. So I don't, I literally don't understand where all of these people came from. And so in preparing for this, what, what some people who are smarter than me have said is that it's not that the people just necessarily came from, from right around there and find them, found themselves out in the wilderness. People had kind of been tracking with Jesus for days and weeks. Word had gotten out about what Jesus was doing for people. And so people were coming from all over to bring their sick to Jesus. And it just so happened that they find him here on this day after he's been on this boat by himself, and it just so happens that this is the day where they find him. And so the disciples, this also helps to make sense of what the disciples said as well, because the disciples said, you know, Jesus, cut these people loose. It's late. They've been here all day. That seems like a reasonable thing. Say, Jesus, just let them go out and find something to eat. But if we understand that they came from all over the place, and if we understand that we're out in the wilderness, and there's just a few local villages, and so the only option that the people have is to go to these local villages and see what they can find, the truth of the matter is those local villages aren't going to be able to help them either. There's not going to be enough there for them. So in other words, what the disciples have done is they basically are saying, Jesus, cut these people loose. They'll go out to the villages. Then they'll figure out there's not enough for them there either. But by that time, it'll be fine because they'll be out of our hair and it'll be somebody else's problem. It's basically what the disciples are saying. So here's what we've got. We've got Jesus who's been teaching these head knowledge, this information about what the kingdom of heaven is like in parables. And then we have this real life, hands-on experience of Jesus feeling what it's like to be rejected by those that he knows the best, that know his family. And then we have the real life murder of his cousin, of his ministry partner, 
And if we're gonna be honest about that, a lot of us feel like that is what the world is like, don't we? That we have this kind of understanding in our head of what following Jesus is like. We kind of have this understanding in our head of God's love. We maybe have a certain level of understanding of of how things are supposed to be, but when the truth comes down to it, what we really are dealing with every day is the real life situation here on planet earth. And if we're gonna be honest about it, sometimes talking about what the kingdom of heaven is like versus what planet earth actually is, this can be a frustrating thing to think about. And into that, into this situation, Jesus shows up. And Jesus doesn't just talk about what compassion is like. Jesus shows up and is compassionate. And Jesus starts by healing the sick, which is what everyone expected him to do. Jesus heals the sick. He mends emotional, physical, spiritual healing, whatever it is that people needed, Jesus brings it. And then not only that, Jesus doesn't just stop there. Jesus does something that we haven't seen him do before, but Jesus hands-on provides an idea of what the kingdom of heaven is like really legitimately because the kingdom of heaven is a place of multiplication where a little lunch, five loaves and two fish, all of a sudden is enough to feed all of these thousands of people. Jesus shows up and said, here in real real terms, the kingdom of heaven is like this place where there's never we're never gonna run out of anything. There's always more than enough. There's more than enough mercy. There's more than enough compassion. There is more than enough of whatever you could possibly need. This is an awesome party where it never runs out and everyone is invited. Everyone is invited, no matter what your story is, no matter where you came from, no matter what is going on in your life, you are invited to this party and there is more than enough. Real life hands-on, shows up. Some of you know that when I started here at Hope, I realized that there was about 12 years ago this spring that I started here at Hope. And when I started, I started out in children's ministry. And so I did the, back then it was called KQ, but it was Sunday school, the same program uh, that we have now. Now we call it Hope Kids. And it's changed a little bit as everything has. But basically what I'm saying is I started out with preschoolers and then I, I worked with elementary students as well. But because of that, this, this event, the five loaves and the two fish, because of my background in children's ministry, I think I've probably interacted with this story approximately 867 times. Because this is an awesome story for kids, right? Kids, five loaves of bread, two fish, at least 5,000 people. There was no way that this was gonna work out, but then Jesus showed up, kids, and Jesus did a miracle, woo! And if you do this lesson for kids and if you don't provide snack time, that just doesn't make any sense. That's working harder, not smarter, okay? Like there's, there's no room for that. So you always have a snack when you do this lesson. lesson. Goldfish crackers are perfect. But you do this and then every single time, it's never gonna fail. Some little sweetheart will come up to you and they'll say, Miss Amanda, I don't like fish. <laughs> well, that's okay, honey. You don't, you don't have to like fish. It's okay. In Jesus' day, everybody ate fish. It was like chicken. It's like a chicken nugget drowning in ketchup. Everybody ate it. And they're, they're like, no, I'm really serious. I'm really serious. I don't like fish. And you realize that this kiddo 
is having this kind of little working out their come to Jesus moment in their head because they're kind of thinking, you know, honestly, I'm doing all right with mom and dad. Things are more or less going okay for me. And you're telling me that Jesus is this, you know, this awesome person who does miracles and is my friend and all this. And But then this kid is realizing or is starting to think that if they're going to be with Jesus, that means they're going to have to eat fish. And they're thinking, legit, that's a deal breaker. You know, no thanks. And so, uh, kids, don't worry, right? Friendly Jesus is over here. He's right over here hanging out. And it looks like maybe he had some cups of, there's probably 12 of these if I were to count them, these little cups. So don't forget, guys, you can come up and get your picture with Jesus. We're in week four of this and it's still going strong. Um, and take it out to registration and they would love to, to connect you and, and uh, make sure that you continue on towards your prize here at Easter. So anyway, this uh, the, the, the details of this story. We can get caught up in the details so easily. It's not just kids that do that. It's adults too. Five loaves of bread, two fish, thousands of people, 12 baskets of food left over, 12 disciples. Whoa, Jesus was making a point. Jesus is really doing something. And that's true. Jesus was really doing something. But if we just get caught up in the details, we can miss the fact that right here, right here in 2018, Jesus is doing loaves and fishes kind of multiplication stories all over the place. That's actually how God works. So we shouldn't be a bit surprised when we see God show up and multiply and do loaves and fishes situations all around us. I was talking with a, a friend of mine who is someone who is kind of a, a mentor to me, I guess you would say, and she... Uh, does some women's ministry things. And so I was, I was chatting with her. I didn't really know that much about her family. So I was just asking. And she was telling me then about her children. And she's telling me about her grandchildren. And she's telling me about her great-grandchildren. And she's talking about how she said a lot of things about these people. Never once did the word easy make it into the conversation. But she talked about how each layer is more fun than the one that came before. And these are my people. I'm going to talk about them in just a second. But I really, 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 really needed to hear her perspective that day. Uh, my kids are 17, 15, 13, and 10. And uh, my girls are on the left and my son's there in the middle on the Hope sweatshirt. And so some days with the reality of my life and the reality of what's going on and the reality of the reality, there are days that I cannot see my way till supper time. What are the nipples having for dinner? Nobody knows, right? <clears throat> I can't see my way to supper time, let alone imagine the next 40 years, God willing, right? I really, really, really needed her perspective that day. And so as she was talking about the different layers, she was talking about how families grow, families add, they subtract, they multiply. And thinking about this, and I remembered that this Christmas, we were able to get together with my husband's family. And so that's what's here on the screen. My mother-in-law is here in the middle. And you'll notice that none of the kids made the picture. None of her children are in the picture. It's her grandchildren and her grandchildren's spouses and the great-grandchildren are the ones who made the cut for this picture. And also, I just need to say, that poor giant man on the right, 
You know you were thinking it, right? One of these things is not like the other, okay? Uh, he, he married into our family. I'm so glad because obviously we could use some, some uh, little boost in the DNA pool. So I'm so glad he's there. Great husband, great dad, but you know you were thinking it. So it's told, let's just call it what it is, right? But anyway, you can see that there's a little bit of a baby boom going on, right? So the ones down in the front, they're a little girl. All of these babies are girls, by the way, except for the couple down in the front, they're expecting a baby this summer, and they are having a boy. And then the couples in the back, the one couple there that is not holding a baby, they have one on the way as well. And some of these kids, these are my nieces and nephews then, and my nieces and nephews-in-law, if that's a thing. Um, My husband in particular has been working on those guys for a long time to get them to join us at Hope, to get them to come to church. And it was really cool this last January when we did the all-call baptisms, several of them came up and got baptized, and for a few of them it was for the first time. And it occurs to me as I'm thinking about this story, this is loaves and fishes, This is multiplication, and it's not perfect, and it's not easy, and it's messy, and sometimes it can be kind of ugly, but it's real, and that's how God works so often. So thinking about this a little bit more and thinking about how God is doing loaves and fishes type stories all around us, and the next thing that it makes me think about is our project with Ruth Harbor and our mission project that we have with them to raise money for them to buy this second house so that they will have a spot for women after their babies are born where they can kind of land there while they are in the process of figuring out all of their next steps, work, childcare where they're going to live, this transitional place for them before they get on their feet. And it occurs to me that when we think about these young women who are you taking, taking the opportunity uh, to be a part of Ruth Harbor, it occurs to me that what the world tells them is not this isn't really so much a pregnancy as this is a problem. And this problem has a solution. And it occurs to me, I gave this message at Hope Des Moines this morning and, and last night as well. And so the number of people that I get to speak to, I know then that there are some of you, there is a woman here in this room who has believed what the world has to say about that. And if that's you, I want you to hear me loud and clear that there is grace and there is mercy, and there is forgiveness. And God has a plan A for you, not a fallback not a second best, but God has a plan A for you. I hope you believe that. I hope you know that's true. And if you don't, connect with me after the service because, or with our care team because I really want to help you understand that. We say every week around here that we have been praying for you, that we're praying for the people that God is going to bring here, and that is absolutely true. And I want to let you know that if there's a woman who has this on her heart, that I have been praying for you specifically. Don't be afraid to to if don't be afraid to to connect and to get help and healing if that's what you need. But as I think about this, I realize that Jesus looks at this situation and Jesus steps in and says, I know all too well what the world says. I know all too well how the world would handle this. I know, I know. And Jesus says, there is another way. There is a better way, not a way that's easy, not by any stretch of the imagination, but there is a way that is full of 
the opportunity for just unlimited blessing through all of this. And so when I think about God's measure of things and I think about this, it's not, we're not just talking about a young mom. And in God's measure of things, we're not even just talking about a baby. In God's measure of things, we're talking about generations. We are talking about entire families. And this is the perfect opportunity for us to show up. It's one thing for a young woman to hear hypothetically about what compassion is like. It's one thing for a young woman to hear hypothetically about how the people of God should love love one another and care for one another. This is an opportunity to give whatever meager offering that we have, whatever little bit that we can give, whether it's financial or whether it's prayer support, whatever little bit that we can give. And then it expect that God wants to do a loaves and fishes type miracle in this woman's and this family's across these generations. Expect that God wants to show up and do something miraculous in that that only God can do. <clears throat> a few Saturdays ago, I, I was walking my dogs. I should back up and I should say, that a few Saturdays ago, I was in a terrible, horrible, rotten, foul mood. Sometimes I'm a real treat to be around, and that happened to be one of those mornings, okay? And I don't know what my deal was, I really don't. But I'm not self-aware enough to be able to tell you what I was so upset about, but I am self-aware enough to tell you that when I get in that spot, by far the best thing for me to do is to get outside, get some fresh air, move around for a little bit. And so I know that, so I leashed up my dogs and we got ready to go out for a walk. And a few blocks into it, we started to get a few flurries, much like what we had this morning. But then just a few minutes later, it was these giant, humongous snowflakes, the kind that when they hit your face, you feel them, you know? And it was, you know, it was much like, it was much like what happened this morning, which you guys are smart. You're here at the five o'clock service. Can we just acknowledge that when we wake up on the day after daylight savings time to snow, it is similar to, in my line of thinking, adult acne and wrinkles. This is not right. These things do not go together. It's not okay right? But this is what we woke up to this morning, and that kind of snow was what I was dealing with when I was on my walk. I was getting my face, so I think I did what anybody would do, and I put my hood up, and I put my head down so that I could avoid getting pelted in the face with the snow. And I'm going along on my walk, and then a few minutes later, something startled me. I don't really even know what it was. Something got my attention. So I look up, and I just stopped dead in my tracks, gave my dogs whiplash, I stopped because I realized that the scene that was going on around me was so beautiful. It was so beautiful. The snow, it was these big, huge flakes that were coming down, and they were thick. And it was dampening all the sound, and there weren't any cars on the street. And it had been kind of bad weather leading up to that, of course, because that's the way it's been. And so the snow on the ground was kind of dingy and dirty, but it had snowed enough that these flakes were covering up the ugly, dingy, dirty stuff. And it was so 
beautiful. And I don't want to get corny about it, any cornier than I already have, but I stood there and I was just so full of gratitude. I was so full of gratitude basically for the fact that I was even alive and that I got to see this moment. I was thankful that I was able to go for a walk and I was thankful that I had these dogs that I am not always thankful for. But in that moment, I was so thankful just to be breathing. And it occurred to me that I was so close to missing that whole thing. I was so close to missing that whole thing because I was worried about being mildly uncomfortable with snow hitting me in the face. So from there on, I decided I was going to walk with my face up so that I'm walking my dogs. I got this big, stupid grin on my face and I'm blinking like a fool. I'm sure, I'm sure it was awesome. The analogy kind of breaks down from there also because then this new snow covered up the ice and then I slipped and I fell. It was fine. It was fine. And I felt so at peace with the entire world. I don't even think I said a naughty word as I hit the ground, uh, which for those of you who know me, you don't believe that, but I really think that it's true. <laughs> but I came so, so close to missing it because I was worried about a little snow in my face. In this miracle of the multiplication of the loaves and fishes, we go on to read that Jesus accepted this offering. He accepted the offering and he lifted it to heaven and he blessed it and then he broke it and gave it to the disciples. And we don't even really notice anything in there. Of course he broke it. They had to break it to pass it out. So we have no trouble thinking about this when it comes to passing out of this bread. But if we think about ourselves and if we think about the ruts that we get stuck in and if we think about the stubbornness that we harbor in our own hearts, even though we're aware of it, we really don't like to think about the fact that Jesus might need to break us a little bit too. And I am not talking by any stretch of the imagination. I am not talking about punishment for our sins. That is not what I'm talking about at all. But sometimes Jesus needs to get in there and needs to break us of our desires to put ourselves and our own needs first. Sometimes Jesus needs to get in there and break us of our desire to be comfortable at all costs. Sometimes Jesus needs to get in there and work on our stubborn heart so that we can have a heart of compassion, a heart that's tender, a heart that doesn't, doesn't just think about helping people, but a heart that actually steps in and gets busy and helps people. The only way for God to get into us and do that work in us and to create us and mold us more into the person that God has created us to be <clears throat> is for us to surrender our will to God's will. And that is not an easy thing to do, but it is the only way it is the only way to experience the fishes and loaves story, the story of multiplication that God does in the world. That's the only way to let God do that story in each one of us is to get ourselves out of our own way, to surrender our stubborn heart and to offer it up to God and say, I don't know what you've got in mind, God, but I really wanna see what kind of a fishes and loaves story, what kind of a multiplication story you might be able to do in my heart and then in the people around me. The Apostle Paul tells us in the New Testament, he says it twice, it's important. He says, every knee will bow. <clears throat> he says it in Romans and in Philippians, and he's actually quoting Isaiah when he says, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. This will happen. This is actually not the question. 
The question is, when? When will this happen? That day that I was out on my walk, I'm not really so sure what I was so mad about, but I am willing to bet that it had something to do with me believing that in something that I should have been getting my way in, I wasn't getting my way. It probably had something to do with me thinking that I really deserved something that I wasn't getting. And it's really painful for me to admit that. It's really painful for me to admit that that's how human I am, but that's the truth. I tend to walk around thinking that things should go the way I think they should go. I told you I'm a treat to be around sometimes. But I think that we all do that. We all fall into, have the temptation to fall into that ditch one way or another. And that day in the snow was a huge course correction. And that day in the snow was an opportunity for Jesus to break my spirit just a little bit to remind me that he needs a heart that's not so stubborn, that he needs a heart that desires a switch, a switch out to be compassionate. So the question is when? Will we do that now while we're still here? right? Will we surrender our will to God's will? Will we say, yes, God, I don't know what you've got in mind, but I want to be a part of a fishes and loaves story, God. I want to let you do a multiplication in me and through me and around me. That's option one. (laughs) Option two is to go on living as though there is literally never going to be enough. So you hang on so tight to what we think we deserve. We hang on so tight to whatever we can get our hands on because fundamentally we believe that we have to do that, that there's not gonna be enough come next week, next month, next year if we aren't hanging on with both hands to everything that we've got. And then we go through life this way and then we get to the end of our life and our life is over and what do you know? We're bowing and we're confessing and it turns out we missed it. It turns out that we missed the opportunity for God to do a loaves and fishes story in each one of us because of our stubborn heart. That's option two, and I don't want that for you. So what I want you to do is I want you to think about what is the multiplication story that God wants to do in your heart? The Bible tells us that Jesus left the 99 in search of the one. Jesus cares about what is going on in your heart and what your relationship and what your connection is to him. Jesus cares about that very much. And then Jesus cares about your neighbor around you so much as well that if Jesus can get a hold of us for the benefit of our neighbor, then all the better. What kind of a multiplication loaves and fishes story does God want to do in you? There are probably several because that's how God works. God's not just to swoop in, do a thing, and then leave. God keeps doing the things. God keeps looking for ways that we need to be less comfortable. God keeps looking for ways that our heart is still a little bit stubborn. So what is a multiplication story that God wants to do in you? And we get to this place by asking ourselves, what is our meager offering What little thing can we bring and offer up to God and see what God wants to do with it? Maybe the meager offering that you have today is that you got out of bed and you showed up and you are here. And if that is you, amen, I am so glad that you are here tonight. Keep showing up every day. Maybe you have the gift of just a listening ear. Maybe there is someone that you see every day that is just desperate, that is desperate for you to give a rip about them, that wants you to ask them, what's your story? What's, what's, tell me about you a little bit. I asked a woman today about her family, and she said to me later, thank you for asking me about my family. 
Nobody ever does that. What? This was in church. (laughs) Maybe your little meager offering seems like nothing. That's okay. Please don't tell me that you don't have anything to bring because that's a straight lie. Stop believing it because it's keeping you from being the person that God wants you to be. If just asking somebody about their family is enough for that person, then you have done it. And every single one of us can do that. I don't believe for one minute that when the disciples gathered the loaves and the fishes and they were looking at this, at basically at what amounts to a Lunchable, and they realized how many people were around, I don't believe for one minute that they said, whoa, this is great, perfect. This is just exactly what we needed. Now we're gonna get some stuff done. There's no way that that's possible. And without Jesus, it's not. Without Jesus, it's not possible. But Jesus shows up, lift the bread, blessed it, broke it, and did a miracle. Did a real-life compassion story miracle. And Jesus wants to continue doing those in you and through you today. We're continuing our march toward Lent, or towards Easter. We're continuing on our Jesus run. And as you're thinking about your multiplication story, <clears throat> as you're thinking about what meager offering you can bring to let God do something with it, don't be afraid of the size of it, whether how small or how big. It doesn't matter because Jesus has made a way. As we remember Jesus' death and his resurrection, when everything looked like it was lost and there was all was lost, it was over. Jesus won. He made a way. And that's what Jesus wants to do in you, for your own good and what Jesus wants to do for the sake of the world around you. Multiplication, fishes and loaves. That's worth celebrating.